Okay, hi everyone, welcome to Planet Diaspora, a new podcast about pretty much everything, um, current affairs, news, everything in between. Um, I'm your host Sandra and um, I'll be talking to a guest um, regularly, um, more likely monthly. Uh, today's guest is um, Alison Wiggins, she's an activist, secondary school teacher and a um, lecturer at UCL, which is University College London, um, and part of the Institute of Education specifically. Uh, welcome, Alison. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sandra. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, brilliant. Um, so nice to see you and be able to talk uh, in this way. We've met a couple of times, but this is the first time we're going to really talk about this issue Uh, but as a bit of a kind of icebreaker warm-up I thought I would ask you um, because I come from a film background which you know about um, so what are your top three films would you, you say I put you on the spot? Is, you are putting me on the spot, and you know it's an impossible question. It is. To answer it is. Even me, I film. would be like, oh. Um, so I don't. I love film. I have never studied it. Mm. Um, but uh, but I know you've done me a I've media done, yeah, and communications. Media, media and communications masters, but that was like fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I'm just a lover of film, uh, and I'm going to tell you the my top three films recently yeah. rather than of all time yeah that's okay, okay that's fine so recently the best films i've seen the first one is a short film called mm-hmm. two distant strangers Ooh. i don't know if you've seen that no i Netflix. haven't but i will it be noting it down phenomenal it's really? phenomenal it's an amazing film um and i urge everybody to watch it it's 32 minutes long it's Thanks. really accessible and you're going to start off being really um just like appalled and then you're just gonna be like okay I get it now um that was phenomenal I've recommended it to everyone I know there's not one person I know who will not appreciate that film do we get a hint or is no, it best no to hints. just watch it cold you okay have to watch, watch it cold, it cold. Um, two distant strangers two distant strangers right. is the okay. first one it mm-hmm. won Oscar for short film recently mm-hmm. uh the next one is Minari I don't know if you've oh, seen that. I haven't. Um, Minari rings a bell. I think I might have heard about it, but yeah, not actually again, seen it. It's won Oscars, and this is the first film I've seen outside of my house mm-hmm. in over a year. So we went to a drive-in cinema yeah. in Ali Pali, and we watched it, and I just fell in love with it. It's so beautiful. The cinematography is so amazing. Is it the international film that won best film? Yeah. Ah, right. Yes, I have read a little but bit. But it's about not really one. international because it's based in America. Yeah, but, but I the think cast is Korean. Yeah, and that's why there was. A bit of a, a kind of conversation at the time, I think. Well, this is the, uh, what we're talking about, yeah, right? Exactly. It's labeling and it's putting yeah. things into boxes and recognizing yeah. some things and, and completely ignoring others. So, Minari is the next one. Um, and then the last one is a film called Shoplifters. Again, um, haven't seen it. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. I think it's on Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, an absolutely phenomenal film, which kind of intersects all the things that I'm interested in, in terms of race and class and language. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. It's really beautiful. The narrative is amazing. Um, and I just think it is one of those films that stay with you. Yeah. Um, so those are my three recently. Perfect. And I urge you to watch all of them. I'm glad you haven't seen them. No, I, I haven't seen any of those films. Minari I'd heard about, but I hadn't 
done a lot. It, it had kind of heard about it in the ether kind yeah. of thing, especially because I remember there being something about, um, I don't know what it was categorised as, I, I, I don't remember the specifics, but I know there, there was something about international film, but obviously you told me that it is an American film. So yeah, totally linked to what we're talking about today. Yeah. So today's um, podcast is called To Bame or Not To Bame. And I know that it's not pronounced BAME, it's pronounced B-A-M-E, which is Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. But um, I, I, with, with acronyms, it's always a bit, yeah. you know, why? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so um, what we'll start off talking about, um, if you're happy to, or you could um, say something about the issue separate to that, but I thought what we could um, discuss um, and the reason why we are obviously talking about it at this time is because, or for me, why I decided to, um, you know, get in contact and have a conversation with you about it is particularly in relation to the Commission on Race um, and um, uh, is it equal ethnic disparities, mm -hmm. uh, which was... Um, chaired by Tony Saul, Dr. Tony Saul, CBE, uh, in March. So um, it's a particular issue, and I know there was a lot of criticism at the time. There was a whole heap of reasons why, all very justified. And um, I remember watching the Runnymede Trust's response to that on the day that the highlights, the highlights uh, came out in the news. And uh, But one of the things... They said, and, it, and it, it was kind of, you're really doing me a favour here, are you? Mm. Was that they were going to stop using the term BAME from government, um, in government departments because um, it didn't recognise the important differences uh, between those groups. So um, just wondering uh, from you, really, what you think of the term or what you felt at the time, what you felt leading up to the time. I'm sure, you know, you've had a lot of, you know, you thought about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do think about it a lot because obviously we belong to that category mm. um, and therefore it directly affects our lived experience. Absolutely. So it is some not something that we can just pretend doesn't exist. Um, it's something we have to engage with whether we not like it or not. Um, and if we are unhappy with the term for whatever reason, that has to be part of our activism to address. So BAME, as you said, is an acronym, but it is used as a noun. And that is my first problem. A person is not BAME. You can't call anybody no, BAME. It no. is not a noun, it's not a name, it's not a label. It's an acronym, but it has been used and is continually used by people to label uh, people who are non-white as other. Mm -hmm. So that's my first issue. Yeah. If it's an acronym, use it as an acronym. But if it's not an acronym, mm -hmm. you can't make it into a noun to suit your purposes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think, the first issue. To, to call me BAME, to identify me as BAME, to, to um, advertise me as your BAME member of staff, that's absolutely not okay. No. Um, and I think that that is where the first issue comes from. And, I'm like, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, language just evolves, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. That, that's the thing, and sorry to kind of come in, but that's the thing with me about it too it's the language it's kind of it's on document government documents when you apply for grants it's on the grant it's part of the data and the collection of data uh, it's 
And it's also, for me, it's kind of by giving it an acronym almost makes it a little bit of a tick box exercise without understanding. There are some commonalities there, but there are also lots of differences. Mm -hmm. But it's without understanding the nuances of individuals. We are all, you know, people, human and individuals. So, yeah. Yeah, so I completely agree yeah. with that. And I think that the only category we all belong to is human. Yeah, and that's pretty much that's it. That's yeah. pretty much it. So my issue with all of it is is, is to do with what, not necessarily, I don't actually mind what you call me. Mm. I mind how what you call me affects my life. And like you said, it does have a direct effect on my lived e experience, on the work that I do, on the students that I teach, and on the way that I am perceived by the world, both institutionally um, and also by individuals. So by creating a category which allows people to continue to be othered and separated from what is perceived as normal or dominant, what you're doing is perpetuating the racial inequalities and the distinctions that really don't exist between human beings. There is no problem with race. Having a race, being different, having a different color of skin, having a different amount of melanin in your skin is not the issue. Mm -hmm. It's what happens because of your race that is the issue. I have no problem with you calling me black, none whatsoever. No. But by calling me black, if that negatively affects my life chances, that is the problem. And I've recently done some work with teachers who are even scared to say black. This they is think it, because that that's what offensive. I thought. That I thought, is the acronym there, B-A-M-E, as a shortcut, because there is such a kind of issue with certain people around actually saying black. Correct. Um, because it's almost like you're attempting to recognize a group separately from everyone else without actually saying <laughs> why you're recognizing them by saying B-A-M-E as if it's just a natural little... You know, I, I, I just, I, and I remember I, I said this today. I was like, is it because they don't want to say black? Is that, is that part of the issue? I think it is part of the issue. Um, I think there are a lot of well-meaning white people sometimes that really do struggle and they don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and that's actually okay. Mm. But it, it's better to ask than to assume mm. that somebody is comfortable being labeled, being categorized and being grouped under this umbrella term, which mm -hmm. has really not very much meaning mm -hmm. for the way that we as individuals identify ourselves. Yeah. So I, I, you know, in the school environments that I work in, if we have teachers who are teaching black students who are scared to say the b word black, that is a huge issue. How do we move forward if you can't accept somebody's I identity? Mm. And by not naming it, you are saying that there's something wrong with it. Um, and I think, again, with all the movements that are going on and with uh, the degree to which some people are now becoming more aware of issues mm -hmm. regarding race and racism, there has to be a shared language that everybody understands and accepts, but there also has to be the acceptance that you don't get to identify me. Mm. I identify myself, and once I have done that, you have to respect the way that I identify. Absolutely. And if I say I don't want to be... Uh, labeled, advertised, categorized as a BAME academic or teacher, even though, you know, institutionally and I suppose um, in terms of research and categorization to do with 
quantitative research, yeah. that's what I would be. The science, yeah. The science part of it. But that's not who I am. No. So there, there is, as you said, like BAME is an institutional term. It is not a term that people use to identify their own identity. Absolutely. It is how they identify by institutions who are trying to other them. Yeah. It's trying to say, if you're not white, you are, are something else. If you're not one of us, then you're one of them. And that you're out of the main dialogue Correct. and you're out of the mainstream and you can be pigeonholed and have these collective traits. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's also, I mean, it's a identity, like you say, you know, what happens in my brain, I don't think about the way I look and my skin colour when I speak. I don't, but I don't think... I behave as what's according to what is happening up here. Mm. And so for me, it's, and, and uh, uh, maybe some other people, I always just think it's a, very, it's a very external kind of abstract way of dealing with very personal issues, And mm. th if, you, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, definitely. It's top down, isn't it? It is top down and it is, it is used to serve a purpose. Um, and the purpose should be to identify issues that exist across the board that are institutional and systemic but what you know BAME as a category is now doing is homogenizing those differences between people and assuming that every non-white person has the same experiences and that is absolutely and fundamentally not the case um, you're erasing whole heritages ancestries histories and experiences and assuming that because you've spoken to one person who belongs to that category, you understand all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And we ha I just want to make it clear that we haven't had this conversation before, but obviously I had made a couple of notes before speaking to Alison, and we had some general talking points. Mm. And when you said homogeneity, uh, my accent's terrible, by the way, in my pronunciation, but I looked down and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what, I'm <laughs> that's what I've written down. And you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, uh, what do you think? Do you think BAME and diversity are linked? What do you think of the term diversity? Because I also don't like the term. <laughs> I've got lots of things that I don't like, but one of them is diversity. Um, the problem is, is that they're used interchangeably. Yeah. And, and my issue with diversity, with inclusion, and with BAME as terms that are used, they're often used interchangeably and therefore incorrectly. Again, nothing wrong with the definition of the word diversity. No, no. But a person cannot be diversity. Yeah. You cannot have one black or brown person in your institution and or organization yeah. and then claim diversity because diversity is not just to do with racial hierarchies no. and categorizations. Yeah. It's got to do with the huge range of identities and experiences exactly. that people have. We are all individuals we are all completely unique in that sense and no two people even if they have the same race they have similar colors of skin they don't identify yeah. in the same way yeah um so uh, assuming that um that kind of shared experience i you know i speak to people who will fundamentally argue with me and say that regardless of the fact that they are brown and they live in this country or black or li and live in this country that they have never experienced racism and that's because they don't understand that there are four levels of racism yeah. and that's the way that we are we are socialized because if we were made aware of the degrees to which racism has shaped our lives mm -hmm. we would all be radicalized you know from the time that we could speak but we're pacified by the idea that 
you know, racism is something that happens interpersonally and yeah. it's a one-off thing. So if somebody has never called you the N-word or you have never seen somebody s or, or someone hasn't said something to you or you haven't seen someone's behavior th towards you that you can identify as racism, that doesn't mean you haven't experienced it. Absolutely. And that is a really fundamental thing that yeah. me as an educator um, and just as somebody who cares about this issue, I think that's a fundamental thing that I want people to understand yeah. that it's not about name calling. You know, uh, you it's not about the kind of I, I mean, to call it a microaggression mm. is is not completely accurate. But that's what you refer to. You would refer to those kind of interpersonal situations. Yeah, because you know. I think microaggressions and, ra and racism are different mm. because there's some the degree to which one is conscious and deliberate and the other to some degree isn't. It's kind of So a microaggression that I face all the time working at UCL University is the assumption that I am a student. Yeah. So that is a reasonable assumption yeah. to make. Yeah. I am walking around an educat uh, educational yeah, institution, yeah. I have a lanyard on, but the fact that I'm a woman and the fact that I am brown mm -hmm. automatically makes people think I couldn't possibly be a lecturer. Yeah. And I've had people tell me to my face to show I real do. shock and surprise yeah. when I say, no, no, first of all, I'm not admin or catering. Mm. And secondly, I am a lecturer, I'm not a student. Yeah. I've had people ask me to leave meetings because of the assumption that I am a student and not a member of staff. Mm. That is a microaggression because it's wrapped up in this idea and this stereotype of, of who works in a university space. Yeah. Um, you know, the ivory tower ideal where everybody is white, middle class and mostly male, male. in all educational institutions. That is not the case. However, that stereotype persists, and that means that people mistake me for a student. Then they're really embarrassed, they're taken aback, and hopefully, you know, that widens their understanding and creates a schema for them that encompasses more identities. That's a microaggression. When somebody is being racist to you, when they're saying things to you, they're treating you in a way, they're being aggressive, they're being rude, they're being um, abusive to you. I think that that is different. It's, it is, yeah. And that's why I was kind of conscious about, I was trying to think of the term and I was thinking, is it a microaggression? No, not really. And you're right, it, it is the, uh, it's the intention and the deliberate kind of um, violence behind it yeah. that, 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 you know, it, it makes it, so much more but I was going to go back to one of the things you were saying about racism because I think it's really important mm. and you you touched on structural racism a little bit saying there was four levels and we talked about interpersonal mm. um, and it relates a little bit to my dissertation which I did last year about structural racism but I did a lot of research I looked at Runnymede and I looked at some American data about the four levels and I was mm. wondering whether there was any crossover because I merged Runnymede with another institu uh, American-based institution. So I, what, what, what are the four levels, would you say? And I was wondering whether it's the same as the ones that... So the way that I understand it and the way that I teach it, obviously there are nuances and complexities that come with it, but in order to get people to their first mm. step of understanding that racism is not just calling someone the yeah, N-word, I try to break it down into those four yeah. levels. Um, so the first is internalized racism, yeah. and that is the idea that you grow up thinking there is an inherent racial categorization system that is real 
and that exists. Mm. So if you are from a white background, you you grow up with a sense of superiority over people who are not white. And if you're from a black background or from a non-white background, you grow up with this understanding that you are less because that is the way that you're treated and that is the way you believe the natural order of things to be. And the way that I demonstrate this when I'm doing anti-racist training is I show them the black doll, white doll experiment mm. where you see black children being asked which doll is the bad doll. Mm. And they all say, well, not all. Uh, there's always about 15 or 20% of kids who will say that it doesn't matter what color they yeah. are. It matters who they are as a person. Yeah. But most preschool children, and in fact, this has been done up to the age of 12, will identify the black doll as the ugly doll. They will identify the black doll as the naughty bad doll, doll yeah. the naughty doll. And then when the researcher asked them, what doll looks most like you? They all say the black one. Mm -hmm. So they recognize that they are black, mm -hmm. but they also recognize that the world sees them the as labels, ugly, yeah. naughty. And they know that from a very, very young age. So that is internalized racism. Then you have interpersonal racism, mm. where someone is just horrible to you. They are horrible, they are hostile, they are aggressive, they are violent, they call you names, they tell you to go back to your country. All these things that we have experienced from people who want to make it plain that they do not accept that you are in their space. Mm. This has happened to me throughout my life, from the playground to, to play places that I've worked. That mm. is interpersonal. And that is the racism that we can see. Mm. But it is minor in comparison to what you know to be structural and institutional racism, but then systemic racism. So the, the racism that consistently means that groups of people have lower life chances than others, yeah within institutions through their policies and practices, the, those things that are consistent over time is institutional and it's racism. Across the, I mean, this is it, isn't it? It's across the political spectrum. Correct. It really is. And I think s sometimes uh, people feel that if you're on one side of the spectrum or closer towards the left, for instance, um, that that means that, you know, you're, you're not, not racist because of class reasons and kind of um gender and things like that because they've traditionally kind of have maybe been pushed from the left a little bit but actually if i think about it um and i, I you know I'm, i've never done political science or anything but i think about it, it really is across the spectrum yeah it you definitely know. is and, and the institutional racism like we don't need a report to tell us that that exists yeah um and then obviously the joining up of the interpersonal of the um, internalized and the institutional creates the systemic. Yeah. So if this just happened in one sphere of our life, we might just be able to survive. Mm. But if it happens internally, it happens interpersonally, it happens in every institution that we have to go through. Mm. We don't have a choice but to go to university. We don't have a choice but to go to school. We don't in this country have black universities where we can go and feel safe, whereas they do in America. Yeah. We have no choice but to navigate these spaces yeah. knowing to some degree that they are already designed to make sure that we this don't succeed. This is what I was coming to and I was waiting for a pause because one of the most profound things someone said to me last year when I was doing the kind of research phase um, and um, very close to actually um, George Floyd's murder was that Sandra, it's working exactly as it's supposed to work. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on. And it's not that I, I hadn't thought about it. I had and thought, you know, Oh, that yeah, there's so m much stacked against, you know, uh, and I'm going to say black people specifically, mm -hmm. um, that 
I had thought about it, but when she said that, it really kind of um, made me think about it even more, and it was quite profound. Mm. Um, you know, her saying that to me, she was like, "What do you mean? It's not nothing's broken here. This is exactly how it was designed to function and work. You know, the the this this you know to preserve power and to preserve you know economic power and to make things run like you say like in England we don't have those um, you know black universities uh, we have to uh, we don't well I say we have to I suppose it kind of happens there's a bit of hybridity and assimilation mm. and I always wondered you know and I know we're going slightly off tangent but I think it's relevant um, certainly because they're taking away a like I said you know they're taking away the BAME um, acronym and they're replacing it with what? <laughs> if it, are they going to replace it with something, or are we, or is it going to be an illusion of a s of of multiracial um, and a stub to multiculturalism and um, this idea of assimilation and diversity? Pro very kind of like you know you sometimes you know are you I, I maybe you've experienced this yourself being somewhere that's you know majority um, uh, white. Uh, maybe white middle class for me, um, in my experience, and feeling a little bit like you're in a straitjacket and you can't really... Like I, re I remember turning my reggae down, <laughs> you know, like I, with, the, with the kind of pop songs uh, and the rock, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that song. But when I was listening to my reggae, I'd be like, oh, I'll turn this down because I don't want to offend the sensibilities of these people. Mm. And it's that assimilation and that kind of, like you say... Um, just navigating that space which is you know it, it's tricky it's been tricky for me certainly it's definitely tricky I think that's a nice way of yeah I'm trying it. to be nice you are trying to be <laughs> yeah. nice but we in order to be successful in this country and in in the society that we live in we have to navigate majority white spaces mm. I do that in universities you know 89% of all teachers in this country are white British identify themselves as white British they there are schools that are almost a hundred percent non-white mm. and I'm not going to say BAME but there are schools that in London that are almost 100% non-white and they have 99% white teachers so we are constantly having to navigate spaces that are not made for mm. us and in those spaces you become both hyper visible because you are the only non-white face in those I spaces. I think they did an experiment and the teachers actually predominantly look at the black that's students. Correct. Yeah that is yeah. and that's been replicated numbers uh, like numerous times in different and spaces. And they micromanage everything they do yeah, in that space. Because they assume that they're going to cause trouble yeah. but then in university settings so you are both hyper visible everyone can see you everyone knows that you're mm -hmm. not one of them mm -hmm. but you're also a little bit invisible mm. you're not brought into conversations that no. are not to do with race or diversity yeah, yeah. and therefore your contributions are ignored yeah. that is further exacerbated when you are a woman mm. because you are also then not um you're not assumed to have those that understanding and there's the sexism that is inherent in a lot of um, institution because they are dominated by the power of men mm. like they are patriarchal institutions and therefore you know the fact that you are black or brown and a woman further exacerbates how uncomfortable you are made to feel because of the way the systems are designed and because of the lack of opportunity to engage with anybody who looks like you and that I think is something that um, lots of people don't ever understand and I think from my in my experience the, I um, my partner and I went to the Caribbean mm -hmm. and we went to the, my home island which mm -hmm. is Dominica mm -hmm. there are no white people in Dominica yeah. none yeah so he was a celebrity 
So he, for the first time in his life, was in a minority. And he was like, why is everybody looking at me? And I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you understand. Mm. Now you understand what it feels like to really stand, stand out, out. yeah. For people to really look I at you look and at be every confused. little movement and yeah. everything you do and put it down to the fact that you are another yeah. and you are different from them. Absolutely brilliant. So I faded into the background. No one was bothered with me whatsoever. But he didn't. He was hyper visible for the first time in his life. And that created a level of empathy and understanding that he's never had the opportunity to learn before. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, if we can ask people from white backgrounds to maybe think about what it's like to be in all black spaces all of the time and how that would make them feel. And when I'm training educators, I ask them to think about how would it feel if you came into school and everybody was black? Everybody. Head teacher was black. SLT was black, your teacher was black, your form tutor was black. Then you went to history, you only learned about black history. Mm. Then you went to English, you only read black books. Then you went to lunch and you only had black food. How would you feel? And they're just like, what? Yeah. They can't even they can't conceptualize it. what, but that is the experience of the majority of young people who mm. work, go to mm. schools in this country. It was my experience, it was probably yours. Mm. So to try and create that level of empathy, you really have to, we call it like radical empathy, which is what I try my hardest when I'm training my teachers to try and develop, which is you have to fundamentally change your perspective about things and recognize that just because you have not experienced something, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm.